Hey Fortifiers, thank you so much for listening to I Feel You, a Fortify Wellness production. We are into season four, where we sit down with trailblazing women in their industry to chat about overcoming adversity, moments of fortitude, and of course, anxiety. This information is not to be misconstrued as medical or psychological advice. Please contact your medical team if you have concerns pertaining to your overall well-being. Hello, I am your host, Bettina Mahoney, and I'm so glad you're here. I am the founder and CEO of Fortify Wellness. Today, we have Lynn Fernando on the podcast. Lynn Fernando is a seasoned marketing expert, entrepreneur, and philanthropist with a 20-year professional journey that has seen her work with some of the world's leading companies. Her portfolio includes giants such as Disney, Amazon, and Nestle where she honed her skills in brand management, strategic partnerships, e-commerce, and marketing. As a co-founder of Tech Girl and Rev Global, Lynn has demonstrated her passion for creative, innovative solutions and fostering entrepreneurial spirit. Tech Girl, a startup venture dedicated to empowering young women in tech, stands testament to her commitment to gender equality in the industry. Lynn's philanthropic endeavors are deeply rooted in her belief in giving back to the community. As a president to the Ayana Foundation, she invests in the future of young women, equipping them with the tools and resources needed for success in entrepreneurship. Hey, did you hear we partnered with ClassPass? Join us every Tuesday at Open Jar Studios in Times Square for a mindfulness Pilates mat class with Fortify Wellness. Our very own Pilates instructor, Kari, a 360 holistic approach for life. Head to our website, www.wefortifywellness.com and use code IFEELYOU for 15% off of your purchase. Terms do apply. Please see the website for more information. Now back to the show. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you. I'm so honored and so privileged to be able to join this uh, talk with you. I'm looking forward to it. Of course. So of course, you've had some amazing titles over the course of your career. And I really love asking this question <laughs> with women executives because they have incredible mm-hmm. titles. And some of those titles could also include wife or sister or mother. But I'm curious, when you take those titles away, who are you? I would say I am an advocate. And I say that in all dimensions of it, whether it's professional personal, you know, friend to friend, I'm always advocating for other people and their goals, their mission in life, whatever the case may be. So that's what I would say. Amazing. And I'm curious, like, how does advocacy show up in your business life in addition to your personal? You know, it shows up in so many different ways. I think I've learned from mentors, my mother, I've learned from, you know, some really great leaders that being an advocate is not just doing something day in and day out. It is serving a purpose, following and being a role model and showcasing to other people that you are there to support them, there to mentor, there to just help and guide. Um, Today, now as an entrepreneur and investor and consultant, it shows up in so many different ways. Um, My days are filled with connecting with people like you who I'm meeting for the first time or people I've known for dozens of years and just trying to understand what are their goals, what are the things that they're passionate about, and either by connecting them with someone, giving them advice, or just being like, you know, someone to hear and listen to them. 
Um, I always try to take the cues from whatever it is that they are looking for, but that's a simple way of trying to be an advocate. And I'm curious how you advocate for yourself. I know a lot of like givers, they give and give and give. Um, I also consider myself an advocate and I give and I give and I give, but how do you give your, how do you sort of provide and advocate for yourself? Great question. You know, that's so funny. I was just listening to an audiobook, Give and Take by Adam Grant. And part of it is like, you know, the people who are benefiting in life are those that have a, a good balance of giving and taking. And more lately, I've been taking um, learnings and learnings from other people and seeing what it is that is mutually beneficial, right? So like as an investor in people, um, I want to learn from them. They have something very unique that they're building. They have something very bespoke that they're, you know, seeking investment in. So what can I gain from it as an investor? Like, that's how I like to look at things um, where it's mutually beneficial. But sometimes in life, like you, you just want to give, 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 and you don't know necessarily what you're going to get out of it. Um, I like to just give unapologetically. And I just like to give for the reasons that that's like my nature. But when I find that there's an opportunity to help someone else or myself, like I am also very unapologetic. I point blank will just ask, Hey, can you connect me with this person? Hey, is there a time and a place for you to make an investment or invest in this business? And that's a lot of what I'm doing these days is connecting people, investing in people, doing a lot of business development. Um, and again, supporting others in their like, you know, entrepreneurial journey. I love when I see um, women uh, VCs or investors, be, and we'll dive into that later <laughs> because I think sometimes there's a gap when it comes mm -hmm. to male investors. Right. You know, there's like only two percent of VC investments, and I've had some very interesting experiences with VCs where male VCs where they've said, "Well, if you wear a different dress, maybe you'd get an investment," and completely not giving me feedback on my product. So, I think it's really nice having female representation as VCs or angels, because I think it does close that gender gap. And it's going to take a lot of time. I think it's going to take, like, as we've been talking about, like, in the podcast, it's going to take, unfortunately, a home run from a female CEO founder, I think, for women to be taken seriously. Um, unfortunately, um, I want to highlight that, unfortunately. But I I very much relate to your statement about advocacy because I started my business, not because there was a market gap, there was a white space, but because I was raped and I struggled with mental health. I struggled to find a therapist for six months. And then once I did, I realized I needed additional mediums. And I saw how frustrating that was for people. And I saw that, you know, once I did want to start this business of creating a digital wellness platform, that's 360 approach, therapy, coaching, fitness, and meditation and one subscription platform, I realized um, you know, 50 million Americans can't afford healthcare. So it is like a very scalable business and it's something that people need. And it's very important to me to empower others utilizing tools and education that they can take charge of their mental health. Like it does get better. You can build strong skills for mood, stress, and sleep. So of course there's different types of adversity. I'm not saying everyone has to go through a trauma like that to go through adversity. There's everything is valid, but I'm curious in your life, did you go through an adversity that played a pivotal role in making you who you are today? 
it could be business. I'm more interested, like personally, like, was there anything that happened in your life that sort of pivoted you to where you are today? Yeah. I I mean, I think there's so many different levels of adversity. And one of the things that I look back on, and maybe I define as adversity early on in my life today, I actually think it was a blessing, but I was raised by a single mom. I didn't know my dad. I didn't know my father who was not basically a fixture in my life. And my mom was an immigrant. Um, She came to this country, not a lot of resources, not a lot of people that she knew. And she raised me with a village of people who supported her, helped her financially, helped her with a lot of mental, you know, mental health constraints and challenges. And I think at the time, I didn't realize that I was lacking, right? Like there was definitely times where, because she was a teacher, again, an immigrant, a woman of color, she didn't have all of the um, opportunities that I think most women and even, you know, people today uh, don't have. And I think that adversity being um, the daughter of a single mother who was struggling financially helped me in many ways. Like I said, it was a blessing. It helped me to be confident, to be resilient, to know that your intelligence, your education, your smarts um, can get you far. And she was, again, to this day, like a hustler. I look at her and I'm like, that is where I got my work ethic from. That is where I got my confidence. That's where I got like my resilience. But at the time, yeah, I mean, I definitely compared myself to other people where I'm like, wow, like, you know, the cars we were driving, the home that I was living in, the, the situation was not always the most ideal. And I remember going to really great schools, really great, you know, um, opportunities. And I'm like, how did she do that? So though it was, you know, maybe you can define it today when you're underprivileged, you don't have all the financial resources, that's adversity. Um, But I think that adversity yields opportunity. It brings strength. It brings confidence in so many different ways. And you know, I credit a lot of that, my upbringing, um, to be the person, you know, to drive me to be the person I am today. And obviously for so many people like yourself, you know, sometimes that adversity, that trauma, the experience that, you know, at the time feels just uh, like a struggle and a, a really um, tough situation to be in, but it brings opportunity. It brings solutions. It brings a, a lot of things that I think, um, again, had I not gone through that, I, I don't know where I'd be today. Yes. I think leaning into adversity seems to be a theme of the season. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that women are powerful. Like that, that's an, insp- and that's an inspiring story, you know, leaning into adversity and like you have choices that you can make when you're leaning into adversity. Like, do I want to sink or do I want to swim? And it sounds like your mom swam and and paved the way for you to leave an incredible life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think back on single parents working in this day and age and, you know, obviously trying to provide for their kids and trying to be a role model at the same time. It's not easy. Like, you know, I have kids and I'm like, holy crap, sometimes I don't feel like I'm the best parent because I'm juggling you know, so many other things. So to be a single parent, to still afford the opportunities, um, and she did with a really great education and obviously 
really great role models in my life, I think was um, a huge asset and benefit for me. And um, women empowerment is definitely a mission that I have um, for my life or for my legacy is how do you empower other women, whether they have adversity or not. But, you know, you always want to give those um, opportunities to women who may need that upper hand, who may need that extra boost or that kickstart. I agree. And I think part of the work that I've been doing, because it was important to me that as I'm building this, that I have done my work on myself because I want to be able to walk the walk and be able to say, yes, I am in a clearer headspace than I was. I think what I've learned was, and I've had people say this to me, and it used to really frustrate me. People would say, you would have done this whether or not that happened to you. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I hate that. But it's actually true. I don't, I think it's true. I don't like the... I don't like, I used to say this, well, I'm really glad this happened because it led to this. I'm actually like not glad it happened. <laughs> I'm not glad no. it happened at all. Um, but I think that there's a choice that you can make when it does happen. And it wasn't linear. I struggled deeply with my mental health after that happened. So it wasn't linear. But I think I had this fire inside of me, kind of like what you're describing, where you're like, I went through this thing and I decided to make an opportunity out of it. And I just decided to come on the other side. And that's a choice. And I'm really proud that I had those skill sets to make that choice. And it sounds like you also did as well. And it led you into like some incredible companies, like household name brands like Disney, Amazon, and you, it sounds like you're a marketing expert and you've learned probably most about yourself working for those huge companies. And I'm curious, what is your advice for the next generation that wants to aspire to hit with those similar career paths? Yeah, no, I would say stay curious. So I've always been kind of that, you know, precocious, adventurous, risk, you know, tolerant person from like the youngest of ages. And I was always curious. And I remember um, moving out to San Francisco right after college, didn't have a job. It was, you know, like recession era. And it was like, I'm just going to go out there. Let's see what happens. Let's, you know, I'm going to just apply to a ton of jobs. I wanted to work in advertising. That is exactly where I wanted to live. And I think taking that risk, being curious, having adventure along the way was kind of my MO. And I definitely feel like that has led me to where I am today. You know, granted, I spent 15 plus years in big companies I was also taught, you know, culturally and, you know, by my mother, you go to a job, you stay in this job, you retire there, you just work hard and you move up. So there was one side of my brain that was like kind of coached and mentored and groomed to be a corporate employee, like just work hard, stay there, get a check and just, you know, do good in, in that role. Another side of me was like, what is this? This is not me. Like I was always like very entrepreneurial, like wanted to build and wanted to be, um, you know, just figuring things out. And there was always that discourse. I was always like starting little side hustles, starting businesses, going after the roles and the jobs that like didn't seem sexy. And to this day, like I still am doing that. And I feel like I've always stayed true to that value system and like, who I am as a person. Um, but I was very fortunate, you know, with the ups and downs of the economy. I was like very lucky to stay employed in the corporate sector for as long as I 
did. And now venturing off as an entrepreneur later in my life, taking a little bit more risk now, like I feel probably more alive than I did when I was like making a ton of money and making, you know, really great product and, you know, being a marketer in these organizations. I feel way more alive. I feel way more empowered and valued um, as a consultant and investor and entrepreneur than I did even when I worked at these pretty awesome companies. So I'm curious when you talk about value and I would think that getting a position at Disney or at Amazon, household name brands, I'm sure if you were to look back at your younger self, your younger self probably would have thought, wow, like she made it, she did it. Mm-hmm. And when we talk to a lot of executives, they're like, well, it actually wasn't what we thought it would be. Like it wasn't the gratification mm-hmm. that I actually thought it was going to be. It wasn't internally satisfying or you get to a point where you're like, wow, that it actually wasn't about the job. It was about me feeling happy and feeling that self-love for myself. So yeah. I'm curious for you, when you got into those positions, did you feel that I made it moment or did you go, wow, like that actually wasn't what I thought it was going to be? It was all of the above for sure. Like in my early and mid career at Disney, like you move up the ranks and you're like, oh, I got my next position. I got my next bump up, my next promotion. And that was my value system. That's what I was told. That's what you do. You move up, you get higher titles, you get more responsibility. And then I definitely felt a shift as I became more senior and I was a manager of people. And like that leadership role, you know, you're at that point now where you're not necessarily doing the day-to-day anymore. You're doing management, leadership, you're like coaching people, you're a role model. And I know that I had my made it moment, not because I was like, oh, I'm this leader of this large organization. I actually felt like I made it when I was able to like positively influence the course of many of like my senior leaders careers. And I, I can get really specific, but like I had started an executive MBA journey while I was leading like this really large global team at Disney. And they were like, what you're, you're, you already are at the top. Like, why do you want to go back and get your executive MBA. And like, now you're killing yourself traveling and doing all this stuff. But I just, you know, stayed the course and I showed them through obviously every day being a strong leader, showing them like the benefits of what it was to get my higher ed and get my master's. And I knew I made it when two of my senior managers were like, wow, oh my gosh, I I've seen you thrive in this leadership position. I've seen you talk about your education and how this is expanding your like, you know, your toolkit and your resume and in so many ways. And they themselves chose to get their master's degrees and they charted a course for themselves. That I, I never dictated. I never said, you need to go get your MBA. I'm like, no, it's not for everybody. Like, that's what you need to do. Then great. But I knew that I felt a satisfaction that was different than these titles when I was able to like influence their like own personal life decision to go back to school, figure out what it is that they wanted to do post this, you know, life at Disney. And, you know, to this day, like I feel still very passionate about doing that for other people, like 
how do you, again, advocate? How do you support people's goals, dreams, missions in life? Not by like telling them like, you need to do this. Like just by being a role model, just by doing it that I I think that that's when I, I know that I'm making it. Yeah. And I think that I, like that lines up with what you had said in the beginning, you, you are an advocate. That's who you are at your core. And I think true leadership is leading, not necessarily micromanaging and managing, but actually leading and paving the way for others, which is so interesting to me that you're now, you have a company called Tech Girl, is that correct? And you invest in women. And I believe I, did I meet you on the, on the fourth effect? Was that kind of how we got connected? Yes. Yes. But I, I talk about the fourth effect all the time. (laughs) I, I love like women empowerment. I love the fact that they have quality and trustworthy people that are like in line with my values on that platform. I find a lot of value in that platform. And we talked a little bit about the funding and how only 2% of women get funded and all those different things. But I'm curious for you, what got you into VCing? Of course, you like to advocate for people, but what kind of transitioned you into that field from working at these big name companies? Yeah, I think it was like five or 10 years into my career at Disney where I was starting to work on really exciting, like white space opportunities, like innovation, like in the tech space. And I would be in these boardrooms and I'd be the only woman in there. I'd be the only one speaking up, you know, talking about strategy, talking about unique opportunities. And it was like all men talking about like emerging technologies, the time AI, a lot of like social media innovations. And I'm like, I have ideas around this. Like, why am I the only person in these rooms as a woman? But not only that, a lot of the ideas probably would never see the light of day. A, because, you know, I was a woman of color in a big industry. Like there wasn't pipelines to like help innovate or incubate these ideas if you were in the corporate sector. Ideas come from everywhere. You can literally be working at, the grocery store and you have these ideas where you're like, how do I get started? How do I even like make the leap into becoming an entrepreneur, let alone like an entrepreneur in tech? So, you know, cut to a few years ago, I was having a lot of like just um, discourse around my career. Like, what do I do next? Like I wanted to do more. And it was through that, that I met my co-founders, And they were also serial entrepreneurs, but also corporate like executives. And basically we launched this platform called Tech Girl to empower first time women founders in tech um, and take their ideas to like reality and connect them with mentors and funding. Had I had this type of a platform 10, 15 years ago, my career would have probably taken a different trajectory altogether. I would have probably taken bigger risks. I would have met women who were doing the same thing I was doing. So when you see it, you can like believe it. And then the mentors would have probably pushed me out of like feeling this like safe comfort zone, which I was in as a executive at Disney. And so I always say like, you know, there's not enough, I think, um, symbols or representation of women in tech, even today. And then now, even just with the proliferation of all these technologies, like there's still not a safe place. Like I kid you not, I've been to networking events still and like it'll be five women and like 
50 men. So we wanted to create that. Like we were like, how do you create networking events where women can go and they're pitching their ideas to actual investors who will invest in them? How do you connect them with mentors who are truly going to mentor them and give them like practical advice and guidance? How do you give them access to real capital and increase the opportunities? Because I was that, you know, 30 something year old who had an idea. And if I had something like this, again, you know, my ideas could have probably came to life. I would have taken the risks and taken the leap, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But um, we're lucky now that there are a lot of organizations like this. And Tech Girl now is actually pivoted to becoming a nonprofit organization called Ayana. Um, and Ayana means flourishing and empowerment. And we've joined forces with other women who are doing very similar things. So instead of competing with them and being like, we're going to do our own thing in tech and you do your own thing in like the B2C world, we joined forces just in the last month where between their, you know, um, IP and the things that they've done. They have fellowships, they have curriculum, they have mentorship opportunities. We had the tech angle. We've now joined forces and it's still baby steps. You know, the 2%, actually 1.8%, it's still very much a challenge and still very much an issue. And we're continuing to hear from founders, understand like what are the pain points so that we can move the needle but do it from a, a nonprofit perspective, like literally get philanthropists, get corporate venture, family offices to like really make that investment and drive that support. I agree. I think I'll give you an example. I had a sort of a mock pitch and there was 10 white males. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sharing my founder story. And of course, my founder story is it's a little dark, right? Like, let's be real. Like rape is uncomfortable. The conversation around that topic is uncomfortable, but there's this huge mental health awareness. There's like all this stigma that everyone keeps talking about. And Mackenzie writes a million articles on it. And, you know, one of the VCs had said, you know, that, that story is really uncomfortable. It wasn't about the product. I got no feedback on the product. I got feedback on the story. And when we talk about choices, we have two choices. We can like you know, rage against the machine, or we can lean into it and go, yeah, it actually is uncomfortable. There is a stigma around mental health and this is how we solve it. I think that when we don't have diversity, when we don't have more women or mm-hmm. even gender fluid people that are representing, you know, family offices or VCs or in large name companies, it can, the conversation's different because they don't mm-hmm. quite understand yeah. And so when I hear the word social impact thrown around a lot, I'm like, do they actually mean it? Like, what are the ways that I can like tangibly see? We talk about traction. Like, what is your traction to show me that you're actually making a social impact? And I have a feeling social impact means a lot to you. So can you dive into like ways that you are sort of like influencing that within the nonprofit and ways that are like benefiting female founders? Yeah. So there's three areas that we are still, again, very early days on now that we've joined forces. Education is one of them, right? Like for anyone, depending, no, regardless of your educational level, your economic status, like you still need education and like resources. So we have joined forces with someone who has a very robust like fellowship and curriculum to help level the playing field. 
So whether or not you have a lot of tech experience or not, whether or not you have uh, a concrete idea with traction, we provide these types of educational resources to like high potential founders. Secondly, we have a pretty strong, if um, anything like legit group of women who are committed to funding other women founders. So these are family offices, angel investors, and VC who are saying they are committing to specifically like a certain amount of funding to women who have gone through basically this fellowship that we're creating, which is exciting because for them, like we're doing a lot of the vetting, we're doing a lot of like coaching, we're doing a lot of the like, um, again, like concrete things uh, that will then advance them and accelerate that access to funding. Um, and then the third is like just meaningful mentorship. Um, most of VC, as you know, is like relationships. It's like, you know, someone who knows someone who knows someone. Well, in mentorship and championing someone, it's also about like just figuring out, are they ready do they have the soft skills? Do they have the confidence to get in front of, um, you know, these other VCs, these other investors? And at the end of the day, you know, I hate to make it about gender, but it is most men are getting funding because they believe in themselves. They're getting in front of these rooms with the confidence that most women, sad to say, like just don't necessarily exude right away. And they need the mentorship and the guidance and support to get through a presentation when they only have 15, 20 minutes to pitch their idea. But when they're in a room of a hundred men and there's only five other women in there, well, guess what? They're going to have the confidence to break through that circle of men and pitch their idea that will hopefully get them a legit meeting with a venture capital you know, investor. So those are the tangible ways. Now, are they like novel? No, but I think it's true our relationships and the people that we have, um, you know, created over our 20 plus years of working collectively um, that will hopefully make an impact. And it doesn't have to be, you know, quantity. I think we'd prefer to have like more quality, tangible impact where we can say in a year's time, wow, we've made these introductions We've um, funded these amounts of um, capital for these types of investors or types of companies and founders. And I think through the nonprofit space, um, there's a lot of DE&I aspects of it that we're hoping is going to catch the attention of big corporations like Amazon, Disney, Meta, who unfortunately in the last couple of years have abandoned any of their like DEI efforts. So this is where we're looking to partner with a lot of those um, corporate philanthropy and like social responsibility groups. I would love to highlight a little bit more about what you said about women and not feeling, maybe it's like a sense of imposter syndrome in whether it's like the boardroom, I know that when I started Fortify and I brought my board together, which is mostly women and very diverse, which I'm very proud of. I was like, had major imposter syndrome. I'm like, I've never... Yeah ran a board before yeah. I'm the one to do it. And, you know, all of them are so supportive of me. Obviously that's why they're there. Um, I'm so early on in my startup, but I just felt like I'm not supposed to be there until I did more work on myself and realized like I am worthy. And I'm curious, 
do we think it's like, do you think it's like a societal thing where women feel like they're not worthy enough? They can't take up space. They can't speak up in, you know, when, and during meetings or whatever, like what, what, what is your take on imposter mm. syndrome? Have you ever dealt with it in, in your space? Yeah. I wish I could quote this study, but there is definitely like psych- psychological research that's been done as far as um, how boys and girls are um, coached and like the role modeling. And I, like, I'm totally forgetting exactly the psychologist, but like boys are told very young, like good job for the work that they're doing. And they're empowered in many ways to like have more confidence. Whereas girls at a young age are like, they're not told good job. They're not given that same level of confidence. Like they're, they're given like different, like, um, different like words to support like their behavior. Um, gosh, I'm completely forgetting the the metaphor, but that continues on whether you're, um, you know, American, whether you're, you know, in a different kind of culture, but women are told to be a certain way, you know, to be a provider, a caretaker. And I think there's probably still that that continues on in the corporate setting and the entrepreneurial sector of like, you're a supporter, but not a leader. You do this, you don't do this. And I think that permeates in, you know, venture capital and it permeates like in the tech sector where you really have to like knock down a lot of these barriers to prove yourself and to prove your value or to prove like your intelligence. And it's just unfortunate, right? But I've met so many women who have had amazing mentors, amazing role models. Um, and, you know, maybe we could talk about this separately, but a lot of their mentors and role models were people who were probably, you know, of a certain um, economic, a certain like professional level, and they were men. I had met male mentors throughout my early career that helped me move up the ranks, helped me move up uh, the corporate ladder. And I think we need more female mentors, uh, more role models that we can then look up to and see like, wow, they've actually done this and they're taking the time to coach me as another peer or another female uh, to be able to, again, um, achieve greater things and like move up the ranks and obviously achieve more. Um, but there's definitely a lot there. It's it's so much to unpack. Like we could probably have like a long conversation around like societal, cultural, like psychological things that are being um, like, that are still like persistent in our day and age. And even though like in the last year, I mean, there's a lot of like female empowerment with like Barbie and the summer of women with like Taylor and Beyonce. Like, why is it only now in 2023, 2024 that we are saying, oh, it's the summer of women. And oh, look at all of these women who are driving empowerment and like this message, like these women have been in business for over 10 years. Like, why is it now that they're getting the recognition that they've probably deserved for more than, you know, 10 years. So I don't know. There's a lot there. I agree. And and Taylor is just carrying the music industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we recently partnered with ClassPass and because we wanted as our grassroots efforts to have in-person mindful Pilates sessions. 
And we sold out our first class, which is tomorrow. And we're doing Pilates mad, Taylor's version. (laughs) You're a marketing person. You put Taylor's version, you play, you have a Pilates mat with Taylor music. It's like, you know, people are excited. People love to be connected and they relate to music. And, and so I'm so excited about that. But also I felt when we're talking about imposter syndrome and an immense amount of, of imposter syndrome, like why are people signing up? Why is this sold out? Um, you know, I am worthy enough. This should happen. Like I put in the work, you know, so there's a lot of it. And I think it just, I best, I think the best way through is just doing it, continuing to do it. And just yeah. practice of it all, I think is really, really important. But we had, I think it was a few episodes ago now, we had someone that's a former finance exec on Wall Street. And mm-hmm. she talked about not dying with the music inside her, that she did everything that she set out to do. Mm-hmm. And I almost cried because I don't know that feeling. <laughs> I don't know if you know that feeling, but I'm curious, do, do you feel like you've done everything you set out to do? If you didn't, like, what's the next chapter for you looking like? Um, So, no, I feel like there's still so much that I want to do in life, that I have still so much to offer. Um, I feel like life is, and this sounds so cliche, life is a journey, right? Like, I see life as being like a journey of like several short stories. And I had my first, you know, I guess, a couple of chapters in my corporate world as a mother, as a partner. And now I'm like, okay, there's still so much ahead of me. There's still another journey where I feel like there's still more to learn, more to achieve, more to contribute. And so, no, the music is going to have a different genre. You know, there's going to be different um, beats to it. And I feel like, you know, when, when you have regret or when you have like a feeling of like, I've done it all. Like, I don't know there. I feel like there's, there's still something more to give. And I'm so fortunate that I've had the career and I've had the last, you know, 20 plus years to learn from. And now I just want to take that, follow it up and like pass that on to other generations, future generations, my peers, et cetera. So I love that. And you know, we've had some incredible people. I mean, you're one of them now. Like we've had people on from Estee Lauder Brands, HBO, Condé Nast, Netflix, and they're really empowered women. And that really inspires me. And I love having these types of like meaningful conversations. They have this like grounded awareness of like who they are. And I'm curious, like if you could go back and like say something to your younger self, like what would you say after living like all of these lives? Yeah. I mean, I feel like my grounded awareness didn't happen overnight, right? Like I literally felt the imposter syndrome when I was a young executive at Disney and I had the experiences that I had and I definitely got shut down a ton, but I stayed resilient through that. And I would advise my younger self to like trust the process, embrace the like journey and just keep going after those challenges. My favorite quote, and I look up at it all the time, is life begins at the end of your comfort zone. So when you start feeling comfortable, change it up. Go for your next challenge. Go for your next journey. Because if I stayed comfortable 10 years ago, even five years ago, I would then probably have a sense of regret. Like, oh my gosh, what did I not do? So I do think like my younger self 
definitely, I mean, she did that. She was like, let's go for it. Let's move, you know, move through this challenge. And I would say I would still continue to do that even in my older self, even now, um, you know, midway through my life, just to continue to, you know, take those risks and embrace those challenges. I love embracing challenges and I love staying curious. So this is always the question we ask at the very end. And it's always really hard to capture this question in one word, but in one word, how do you want to leave your legacy behind? Empowerment. I love that. Thank you so much, Lynn, for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you again. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey. Um, I'm, I feel like this connection that you are bringing to other people with mental health and their journey is one to be admired. And I'd love to support you in whatever way I can. So thank you. Thank you. I hope to support you as well. That's, that's why we're here as women to empower each other. So thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Erica Hornthal. I am a therapist with the Fortify Wellness Platform and also a board certified dance movement therapist. Today, I wanna to briefly talk about something called high functioning anxiety. Because it's actually something that's fairly common with high achieving professionals, executives, individuals who may be entrepreneurs, or really motivated within their careers. And what's so common and I think tricky about this is that either we can have or experience anxiety that is exacerbated when we are in productivity mode or not being productive can be what drives the anxiety. And so this feeling to keep producing is kind of what fuels the underlying anxiety. And in order to work with it or to create a space of calm, we actually need to create opportunities where we don't necessarily feel productive. I always like to say that when you are operating at this level of always producing something, that relaxing or doing quote nothing can end up being the most productive thing when it comes to rewiring your anxiety. So some things to consider if you are a high achieving production-based individual and you notice that you do experience a lot of anxiety to just be more aware of when that anxiety shows up how it shows up in your body and your mind and that there's nothing wrong with you you're not broken for experiencing these things it is often a coping strategy a way that sometimes we tell ourselves we stay motivated but also a way that really keeps us stuck in patterns that really aren't serving us so keep in mind that it can be something that feels like it drives us to do better and more, but that doing better and more isn't always the healthiest thing for our mental health.